Good morning. Well, uh, it's great to be with you today, and let me say right off the bat, this is going to be a two-part sermon, and um, part one is today, I realized that first hour, by the way, Uh, part one is today, Uh, next week is Mother's Day, and so we'll have a a different sermon then, but then on May 20th, we're going to come back with the gift of singleness, part two, so I just want you to know that. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 19. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. As you're standing and also looking for those verses, let me say this. Why the topic of singleness is so important for us to address today. Um, In America today, roughly half of of adults 18 and over are married. Uh, 51% are married. And so um, the, the... it's been going down. The, the number of actual married adults has been going down. In 1960, it was 72%. And so um, people aren't getting married as, as much as they used to. Uh, there's something else as well. The people are, people are getting married later. And you, you know this because when you go to weddings, the bride and the groom are older than they were maybe in the past. So, for example, now the, the median age at first marriage for, for brides is 26.5, and the median age for grooms is 28.7. So uh, the topic of singleness is, is an important one for us to address. Uh, the other thing I want to mention before we read, is we all know that divorce is rampant, and we also know that there are many who stay married but they seem to have the hearts set on not enjoying it. And so, with all the trouble surrounding marriage, with, with the, even the negative examples of marriage that are out there, a lot of unmarried people might conclude, as the disciples did, it's better not to marry. And so, when we read this, and then and we look at, onto this topic, let's remember that, um, that God has something to say about it. And let's first and foremost be looking for, so what is it that he says, and how then should we respond? Okay? Matthew 19, we're going to read verses 10 through 12. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege we have to to read your word, the privilege, Lord, to to stand before you and to join with one another and and hear what you have to say about things that make a difference in our lives. Lord, as we look today at uh, the gift of singleness, we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that you would show us wonderful things in your word, and Lord, you would direct us in the way that you would have us go. Lord, whatever, whatever status and station of life that 
all of us are in, we pray, Lord, that in that we would serve you, in that we would honor you. And Lord, is our desire, Lord, to, to bring glory and honor to your name. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see what Jesus has to say about the gift of singleness as we focus on this idea. But I want to ask a question before that. I want to stay, take a step back and, and ask you a question. And it has to do with money, so just be aware. If you were, if you were living on, uh, on, um, on a gold mine, let's say, and, and didn't know it, and then found out, what would that be like? Living on a gold mine, you didn't even know it. Or what if, what if there, there was a whole bunch of money that was yours, but you didn't realize that it was yours? And then you find out that it's yours. How would that feel? Why I ask that question is because right now, the state of California, this is, by the way, very important for us who live in California, <laughs> Um, right now, a lot of people do not know this, and a lot of people think it's not even true, but, but it is. The, the state of California right now has $6.1 billion of unclaimed cash, and it might be yours. The state controller's office is holding $6.1 billion, and they're working to reunite people with their, with their money. And by the way, the efforts are working. Since, since 2007, the more than $2 billion in cash and nearly 157 million shares of stock have been given back to their rightful owners. And it's very interesting uh, how this comes about. How do people not know what they've got? Well, in some cases, someone dies and the family has no idea that they owned these things. Uh, in other cases, someone moves and they don't leave a forwarding address. But the primary reason is because the owner forgets that they had the stuff. They forget that the account exists. And, and I think that's kind of like how it is sometimes with us and our God-given gifts and callings. We, we, we forget that what we have in life is from God, and we either don't see them for the blessings they are, maybe we even see them as a curse, or we fail to recognize them altogether. And so we might miss the, the present blessing that God has for us because we're looking forward to something in the future that we don't have yet. You know, what I hope you'll see today is whether you are single or whether you are married, that your, your status in life is a gift from God. It, something God has given you because he loves you. It, it's a gift from him. Now, the verses we read, we were only reading three verses, and, it, and it, they do raise some honest questions. They, they raise questions like, which is better, marriage or singleness? The disciples said it's better not to marry. So they, they said, well, it's better to be single. And, and so we've got to ask, is one to be preferred over the other in God's design? It's a valid question. Or, or this, how do we, do we deal with the issues that sin creates in, in a God-honoring way? I mean, the context we've just come out of is on, about divorce. 
And in that day, back then, you could divorce for any reason you made up. Much like today. So, so these are good questions. And, and, and you know, then the question of, should we just abstain from marriage so that we wouldn't have to deal with divorce? Valid question. And some of you are seeking answers to, to these questions and more. You've come today with questions. Uh, maybe it's not about this topic, but you have questions. And the great thing is, we, first of all, we can't answer every question. Only God knows the answer to many of them. But while we cannot answer every question, God's word points us in the right direction. And that's what we're going to see today as we, as we think about singleness. Now, the context is, is interesting. The context is really Matthew 18, 19, and 20. And now we're in the middle of chapter 19. And the context that Jesus is speaking out of is, is he's instructing the church. He's instructing his disciples on the kingdom community, on Christ's covenant community that will exist after the cross and the resurrection and before the return. And so... He is, he is speaking in this, and right after we have heard from Jesus in, in Matthew 18 that our forgiveness of other people must be unlimited because his forgiveness of us in Christ is unlimited, then Jesus throws us into a situation where we've got to face some of the toughest par- places of, in life to, to exercise forgiveness and repentance and understanding with other people. Marriage and divorce and singleness and the next passage of children that's where the rubber meets the road in the christian life is with is with the relationships that happen and for people who who claim the name of christ say i'm a i'm a christ follower i'm a christian i'm i'm a believer then to to act like one is really tough in these relationships christ lays down a a high standard and he lays that standard down in the, in the context of marriage in Matthew 19, 1 through 9. He says that marriage is a lifelong commitment of one married partner to another with no thought of divorce. That's a pretty high calling. No wonder that the disciples say in verse 10, well, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. It's better not to marry. Now, some people back then said that singleness is to be preferred over marriage as a more spiritual uh, choice in life. Some people say that today. The disciples, what we've, we've noticed here in verse 10, is that they actually got the idea that marriage is a binding covenant relationship. They, they got that, but as they're wrestling with it, they're thinking, well, hey, if it's this tough, and maybe even if that's the only way out, we don't know if we want to go in. So this is tough. This is, this is really tough. And Jesus sets this really high standard. And they don't know. You know, he says, look, I only permit divorce in extreme circumstances. It's not for no reason that you can get divorced, as it was back then and is today. That's not pleasing to God, just to divorce for any reason at all that you make up. But you know what I like about what, what the disciples say? I, I love this. They don't pretend with Jesus. Now, we do sometimes. We like to pretend sometimes. 
Oh, everything's all right, you know, let me say the right thing, but I'm feeling something different inside. No, the disciples said exactly what they were thinking. I, I think it's very refreshing. I think it's, it's very uh, authentic. They're, very, they're being honest with Jesus. Now, their, their, their reasoning was faulty, but they were being real with him, and I, and I like that. We should be real with Jesus. He knows everything. You can't pretend with him. So, so they say, hey, look, if this is the case, we don't, we don't want to get married. We don't want to do it. Now, Jesus did not agree with their reasoning. Jesus did not agree with them. Verse 11, he says, not everyone can receive this saying. Well, what saying? It, was it the saying about only uh, divorce is only uh, allowed when there has been sexual immorality in the marriage? Is that what he is referring to? Or, or is it just the whole string of things that Jesus has said about marriage and about, then about divorce? Is that the saying that he's talking about? I don't believe so. I think the saying that Jesus is talking about is what the disciples said in verse 10. When they said, it is better not to marry, Jesus then says, not everyone can receive what you just said, but only those to whom it is given. That is a key. It's, it's a gift. It's only going to be able to be received as a gift from God. Now, Jesus, in verse 12, explains matters. He says, look, there are, there are eunuchs who have been so since birth. So by the way they were created, they're unable to marry and, and have, go into that relationship. And, and Jesus said there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. So they weren't created that way, but by circumstance, they found themselves unable to, to marry. And then he says there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So there are some people who by choice, by their own, their own choice, say, I believe I want to stay single so that I can serve God to a greater degree. And Jesus says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. If you can accept it, accept it. If you can't, then don't. So either through being created that way or through circumstances or by their own choice, there are people who remain single and then celibate through their life. So what Jesus means by what he's saying is that it will not be his will that everyone marry. It is not God's will that everyone get married. I mean, take Jesus himself. The, the sinless Savior, the, the sovereign Savior, the 100% man, 100% God. But Jesus on earth, just like him, himself, he, he lived a life of celibacy and, and perpetual virginity without the cares and responsibility of marriage and family life. There are some who are called to that. I mean, Jesus, just like John the Baptist before him, was celibate for the sake of the kingdom. It didn't marry for the sake of the kingdom. But for those who enter into marriage, those who do not enter into marriage, the blessing of that state will be enjoyed in proportion to the standards that are met. And remember, Jesus' standard is very high. The standard that Jesus teaches is chastity and purity in singleness. And 
lifelong commitment and faithfulness in marriage. Jesus says, the one who's able to receive it, receive it. If you've got a gift from me, then, then, then go for it. But if not, then there's another direction you need to go. These verses are teaching us something. As all of Scripture teaches us, God has something in mind for us as we read these verses. But what is it? What is it that these verses are teaching? What is Jesus saying? What is, what is he wanting to get across to his disciples? And then to us. Several things. The first thing I want to point out that that these verses teach us is that it is not a question of marriage versus singleness. It's not a competition of which one is better or not. They're they're asking the wrong question. They shouldn't be asking, is marriage uh, better or is singleness better? But which one is better for me? You've got to ask that question. What's better for me in my life? And it might not be the same answer for someone else. It's not a question of marriage versus singleness. It's not a, it's not a d- debate. We're not talking apples and apples here. We're talking apples and oranges. Two different things that God has given. See, God's plan for many people is for them to be married. One man and one woman getting married. God's plan for many people is for them to stay single and not be married. That both of those are God-pleasing options. That marriage and singleness are from God. But there's something, there's, the reason why this is not a question of marriage versus singleness is because of the context that these verses land, that they appear. It would be very easy for us to be very fixated on, well, divorce or singleness, and, and that becomes kind of the overriding Uh, emphasis but there is an overriding emphasis in matthew chapters 18 19 and 20 that is not the the things that are found there just the pieces that are found in there it's the overriding emphasis of the church of christ that's the bigger picture in matthew 16 18 we we see the first mention of the church when Jesus says, based on people's profession of him as Lord, he would build his church. And then, you see in chapter 18, in the, in the midst of what some people call church discipline, but I call church good stuff, where Christians do what Christians are supposed to do when they have an issue with another Christian. They just go and talk to them. And hopefully they, 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 they forgive each other and make up. But if it doesn't work, they're to go with someone else for accountability. And, and if that doesn't work, they're to tell it to the church. There's the second time in Matthew that the church is named. But Jesus in, in Matthew 18, 19, and 20 is speaking of a time after the cross, after the resurrection, before his second coming, where the church would be in operation and he would be with them spiritually but not physically. And he is, is, is speaking to a greater degree about that. And so this idea of singleness must be seen in context. This idea of marriage must be seen in context of the bigger, more lasting issue, the church. And I've got to say thanks to John Piper for what I'm going to say next because he brings up some ideas about marriage and singleness of what they point to in varying degrees that are significant for us to keep in mind before we dive deeper into this passage. A couple things. First of all, um, the family of God grows not by physical births, 
but by spiritual births, by, by regeneration through faith in Christ. So family relationships are not permanent. Faith in Christ is permanent. We've got to keep that in mind as we, as we contemplate things like marriage and singleness. The other thing is that relationships in Christ are more permanent than relationships in families. And it's always a good thing when, when family relationships are also relationships in Christ. But as we all know, it doesn't always work out that way. That everyone in your family is not always a believer. And, and then it, it really points to something about marriage and about singleness and about any state we find ourselves in here on earth. Um, it's temporary. Now, marriage in particular is temporary, and it's going to give way someday to what it was pointing to all along, Christ and the church. And, and when that day comes, the picture is no longer needed because now you're face-to-face with the Lord. And the idea that faithfulness to Christ is what, what defines the value of life. Faithfulness to Christ. All other relationships get their final significance from that. That no family relationship is ultimate. Relationship to Christ is. We've got to keep these things in mind as we go on because what Jesus is teaching is this is not a question of marriage versus singleness. The second idea in terms of what this, this passage is teaching us is that it's this. For those who do have the gift of singleness, it is better not to marry. For those who have the gift of singleness, you shouldn't get married. Now, the response of the disciples indicate they didn't fully understand God's will regarding marriage. And, and, and so they kind of go off in the wrong direction there. But go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've got to go there because Paul is speaking about marriage and about singleness and he says some significant things but the idea that if you have the gift of singleness it's better for you not to marry that's the idea if you don't have the gift of singleness it's better for you to marry here's what Paul says he says in verse 7 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7 I wish that all were as I myself am what is he saying? he's saying I wish that everyone was single unmarried But then he said, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. And he goes on to instruct the unmarried and he goes on to instruct the married. That's the, the gifts from God that he's speaking of in this context. So take Paul for an example. Paul refrained from marriage that he might better serve God. But it is not the will of God for all his servants. But if you have the gift, then it's better not to marry. What else does this passage teach? One more thing I want to point out. And it goes along with this. That, that God assigns to each person their particular calling. See, for the disciples to say, look, it's just better not to marry because of all the divorce and because of all the problems and because of the stipulations, um, that's not it. God is the one who assigns to each person their particular calling. That's why he says, look, not everyone can receive this statement, but only to whom it has been given. There's that key that God has given them the ability to do that. So then he says, hey, the one who can receive it, receive it, accept it, embrace it, even celebrate it. 
God assigns to each person their particular calling. We saw last week as Jesus was, was quoting Genesis that God made them male and female. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. And, and, and then he said, and the man shall leave his father and mother and shall, be, and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So marriage is, is, a, is a particular calling on some people's lives. But as you see, even in, in 1 Corinthians 7, singleness is a calling in some people's lives. So what, what, what this passage is teaching us is that it's not a question of marriage versus singleness, not a debate, not a competition. And, and for those who have the gift of singleness, it's better not to marry if you can receive it. And then God assigns to each person their particular calling to whom it's given. And, 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 and that's really what this is about. And we've got, to, we've got to understand that so we don't go off into areas where the disciples are, we, like the disciples where we misunderstand the issue and then we say, well, marriage is better or singleness is better or whatever. And then we get into these, uh, just get on the wrong road there. But I think that there are some underlying expectations about this. That Jesus didn't just say this to say it and then walk away from, that he said it so that they would act upon it. And he's saying it to us so that we would act upon it. And, and really, he, it's pointing to a way of life that, that God expects and enables. How do you live in light of these truths? Since God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you receive God's gifts. You receive them as gifts from God. A lot of people will say, well, I, I hate my position in life right now. I don't like it. I'm, I'm not content. I, I, it's not what I want. Jesus' bottom line here is that both marriage and singleness are gifts and callings from God. If you get married, that is a lifelong calling. If you're not yet married, you right now have a calling from God to be single, but that might not last your whole life. You might get married, but it might last your whole life. You might have the gift of singleness. So there's this idea of receiving God's gifts. That's the appropriate response. Not rejecting them, not explaining them away, not even being ashamed of them. You can only receive what you have been given. Every good and perfect gift is from God. It comes down from Him. You know, Ecclesiastes 9, in the context of living on earth, it says, 9, verse 9, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. That is your portion in life. Enjoy it if you have it. Receive what God has given you. Worship God in everything. Do all to the glory of God, whether you're single or whether you're married. You know, we like to, to, to quote Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And some people take that to mean that, hey, okay, Lord, I'm going to be really, really happy about you so that you will give me everything I want. Like a little vending machine. And that's not the way it is. In fact, go with me to, to Psalm 37. There's more to the picture. Much more. Psalm 37 doesn't just talk about delighting yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And we could explain that quickly and say, look, that means if you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to have the right desires because you're going to have desires that please him. But the verses before and after it really open that meaning up. Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. So you're trusting God, you're doing what is right, 
says you're dwelling in the land and uh, befriending faithfulness. So, so, so you're doing what God wants you to do. And then you delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You ha- you're having desires that please God. You're having desires to honor him. Verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. So everything's in his hands in your life. And then you trust in him and he will act. He's doing something. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Don't fret. It's the whole idea of being, being in line with God and as you are, he providing what you need. Even the desire. Think about it. God brought Eve to Adam. Adam didn't put in an order and then wait like you would a car, like you order your car. Some people order cars and they wait for them to be delivered. No, God fashioned Eve for Adam, for each other. He brought Eve to Adam and, and Adam's like, God, you're awesome. Uh, you're amazing. Uh, this is, wow, you know, beyond my wildest dreams. But that was a gift. She was a gift from God. They were a gift from God to one another. And, and you think about it. When you go choose a gift for someone that you like, that you love, you think about what they might like and love. And, and you, you have their best in mind. And you might even buy something that you wouldn't usually buy for them, but you know they would like it, right? In this category, God is, is thinking of us as he provides for us what is best for us better than we know ourselves and it's amazing mind-blowing thought to think that god is so great and so amazing and so awesome that he can be thinking about every single person and and not get the circuit overloaded that he is he's amazing and 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 huge and and he can handle it because he's god well, we've got to receive his gifts. We've got to receive his gifts. But there's something about receiving the gift that is probably the trickiest part of it, probably the toughest part of it. And it's this idea of discerning God's will. Discerning God's will. Figuring out what God wants. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 10, in the context of walking as children of the light in all goodness and righteousness and truth, it says this, and trying to discern what pleases the Lord. Trying to discern what pleases the Lord. And, and, the, and the Greek word there is dokimazo. I don't throw Greek words around a lot, but this one is an important one. This one means test. Test it. Um, decide between one thing and another. Approve it. Yes, this, no to that. Because many of us, as we, we're trying to discern God's will, we want this... this uh, Roadmap to kind of just float down out of heaven and, and then kind of land on the ground and, and we see it, but no one else does. It's kind of like a hologram or something. And we want, we want like a laser beam pointing us in the right direction so we, because we can't make a step without it. And we almost get superstitious about discerning God's will. Other people, they get like way too cavalier about it. I can do anything I want. And there's this delicate balance, but it's going to include your mind. It's going to include your, your thought process. It's going to include your heart, uh, your, your deepest 
emotions and desires. The idea of trying to discern what pleases the Lord is where you're saying no to some things and yes to others. It's the same word, by the way, in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't let the world push you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you are thinking it through as God transforms your mind what is right and good. You've got to discern God's will, what is pleasing to Him. And, and a believer's prayerful desires will, will guide them in, in this area. Let's just say that you have come to the place in your life and you say, I am convinced that I am to do that. I know I'm supposed to do it. And you're convinced and you've prayed and you've, you, you're, you're just like, this is what I got to do. Then do it. Go for it. It's like the missionary Jim Elliott that, that, uh, that served in Ecuador and was was going to reach the, the Aka Indians. They, they're killed by the very people he was going to share the gospel with. Here's what he said when he was a very young man. He said, live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. If it's good, if it's right, if it's true, and the, and the, the road is open and there's no big roadblock in the way, and go for it. But it's interesting that to do the discerning of God's will, we've got to test things. We've got to weigh opportunities. We've got to figure it out. What else do we need to do? Well, this one, this one has to do with the clock. <laughs> You've got to trust God's timing. You've got to trust God's timing. If, think about it for a moment. Trusting God's timing is assumed in these three verses. You can't receive it without having a chronological element to it. Um, it's, it's given. There's this time element to experiencing the gift. It's like if, if you go shopping in January because you got a good deal, but you're buying for Christmas. You're like, oh, this will be great for my mom or this will be great for my spouse and I'm going to give that to them in December and you hold on to it. You wait. And there might be times during that, during that year that you think, oh, this would be the perfect time to... Oh, no, I'm going to wait till Christmas. Well, God's time frame is perfect and he brings to us in our lives at the perfect time what we need. Not always what we want, but what we need. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. It's not to, to bring you calamity. It's to prosper you and it's to give you a future and a hope. These are good things that God has in store for us. So what we've got to get to the point of doing is wait on God patiently without complaining about our current state of life or worrying about our future. But it seems that some of us have a stopwatch on and they're like, God's late. It wasn't supposed to, I wasn't supposed to be this age and not married or, you know, I got married too early or whatever. I mean, there are a lot of married people that act like they don't want to be and a lot of single people that, that all they act like is they want to be. And it's like, you've got to be content right where God has you. It's almost like we set an alarm and we think, well, we've got to keep on putting the snooze button on because God's late. He hasn't come through. Got a countdown alarm going and it's, it's ticking and he better come through at that moment. 
Now, we're on God's timetable, not ours. By the way, uh, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. But I will guarantee you it won't take a thousand years to figure out what God wants you to do in life. You're not going to live that long. So I guarantee you it's less than a thousand. I realize that many of you are in a holding pattern right now in life. You're like, what do I do? I don't know. I don't know. It could be about whether you're going to get married or not, but it could be about any number of things, and you're in a holding pattern, and you're thinking, when will I know? You know, it's like you're, you're coming into the airport for a landing, and all of a sudden, the control tower says, uh, hold on, we don't have a runway open for you. So you're circling the airport over and over again, and you realize, the tank's running low. I'm running out of fuel. And then you hear, you're not going to be landing here. We're going to divert you to another airport. That's frustrating. That's, that, that could cause a lot of, of unrest because you don't know what's next. And you don't know how you're going to get where you need to go. I, I, I know. I think mean, we've all lived there. But we've got to trust God's timing. It's not clear today. There's fog. You can't see. But it, it will be clear someday. There's hope. I want to get a little more specific now. We've got a few minutes left. I want to get a little more specific. Because now, by the way, I, I know that, um, that I've got to say something to, to those who are married. And you're like, wait, this is about singleness. Well, hey, come on. Equal time here. No, no, no. Here's the deal. The reason I got to say something about to those who are married is because there are a lot of married people who are giving marriage a bad name. And basically, single people go, if that's what it's like, I don't want that. There are a lot of people that are basically giving marriage a bad rap, giving them a bad reputation. The Bible gives marriage a, an excellent, stellar reputation, but people often give marriage a bad one. I got to say something if you're married. Number one, do not just survive it. Thrive in it. I think there's some people that are married that say, well, you know what? Well, I'm a believer, and divorce is not an option, so I'm going to stay married, but I'm not going to like it, and my, and my spouse will feel the pain. I think some singles are dreading marriage because of the bad examples they've seen. I don't want to go to the dentist. I don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to get married. That's not the way it should be. A believer should say, you know, Lord, whatever you want in my life, that's what I want. But some things get in the way, and people's examples get in the way a lot. You've got to uphold marriage's good name. Do not spoil its biblical reputation. The other thing I'll say is this. Act like a Christian. What? Yes, if you're a Christian, act like one. Ephesians 5.1 says says this, as beloved children, be imitators of the Lord. Act like the Lord. Do what a Christian's supposed to do. Say, well, I got so many problems. One of my favorite movies is is Casablanca and and, and, uh, Bogart, Humphrey Bogart's character, Richard Blaine, at one point in the movie, he says, it doesn't take much to see that the problems of, a, of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Our problems don't amount to much, and they, they look really small in the grand scheme of things. But we get really focused in on them, like the microscope is in there, and we, we think that's the only thing going on in life. 
And act like a Christian. Strive, if you're married, strive for, for mutual love, mutual esteem, mutual edification. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Treat your spouse kinder than you treat strangers. That's a good starting point. And then strive to glorify Christ. If you're married, strive to glorify Christ. I realize these apply to everything in life. But if you're called to singleness, if you're, if you're called either right now you're single and you're not married, so at this point you're called to singleness, or you're convinced that you're called to singleness your whole life, whatever the case, what does it take to successfully navigate that? Let me tell you. First of all, number one, if you're not, if you, if, if you're not married right now, don't feel pressured to get married. Don't let people's misguided well how come you're not married yet what's wrong with you statements get to you don't let that happen if you desire to be married then you're waiting remind them you're waiting for god's best you don't want to make a hasty decision i i realized something about the church of christ at, at large we need to honor single life more than we do we need to to teach Matthew 19, 10 through 12 more often than we do. So that men and women who are, who are called to single life don't feel like second-class citizens in the church. It's a calling. It's a gift. And if you're, not, if you're not married right now, don't put pressure on yourself to by a certain time uh, be married by just setting some arbitrary, maybe even unrealistic goal. You'll know when you know. I know that's a lame, sounds lame, but it's true. You will know when you know. What else? Maximize your ministry potential. If you're single right now, maximize, leverage that ministry potential. If you choose to be single, it should be to serve the Lord to a greater degree. I remember when I was single, one of my pastors said to me, and to a group of us, you have freedom that married couples don't have to go even at a moment's notice in ministry. And, 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 and he said this to us. He said, this can either be the most self-centered time in your life or the most Christ-centered serving time in your life. The choice is yours. I like what John Piper said. He said, to be single in Christ is not falling short of God's best, but a path of Christ-exalting, covenant-keeping obedience that many are called to walk. And the last thing I'll mention is this, as the worship team comes back up, is this. Find your ultimate joy and, and significance and identity in Christ. Not in finding a mate. Not in what you do. I have known so many people who have a deep desire to be married, even to have kids, and it was never fulfilled. And it, and it was very painful for them. And I do not know why some desires go unfulfilled. I do not know. But I do know this. If our every desire was fulfilled, we'd be in heaven. <laughs> if, if, if our every desire was fulfilled, what need would we have for faith and hope? Sometimes the thing that we're most discontent about in life, the very thing that God wants to use to build the deepest character in us. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we want to say that we are very dependent upon you for everything. Absolutely always dependent upon you for everything. In you we live and move and have our being. 
from you and through you and for you are all things. To you are all things. So Lord, we say in our, in our married life, in our singled life, to you be the glory forevermore. In Christ's name, amen.